The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Annika Leiter is our neighborhood outreach coordinator. Uh, we are committed to bearing witness to who Jesus is, uh, to just uh, communicating the love and the grace of God, uh, even through the, the things that we, that we do in our staff and how we manage that. And so to have somebody that is here for one purpose, and that is to, to love on this neighborhood. Uh, that's what Annika is here to do. And, and what she's paid to do. Now, I'm pretty sure that there's probably a group of, of people at the Army Corps of Engineers that are trying to figure out how can we harness the energy in this, this itty bitty woman? Because if we could, we could probably power a, a few, a, a few small cities in Western Washington. Uh, she no doubt brings that type of, of energy first from Lake Oswego, then to UPS, just south of us down in Tacoma. She had a little bit of a sojourn uh, working in ministry in Chattanooga, Tennessee, before returning to Western Washington because she just needed to be in a place uh, where she can get her turns in uh, on the ski hill in the winter and then go climb those mountains in the summer. So please give it up. Uh, for our Neighborhood Outreach Coordinator, Annika Leiter. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks. Hi, guys. Um, like Ryan said, my name is Annika, and I am excited to be here with you guys tonight um, and get a chance to talk about Ruth, and you guys can hear a few stories from my life. Um, if you hang out with me long enough, you'll find out that there are tons of random, awkward moments that just seem to happen to me. So, tonight we're going to start with one of those. Uh, I went to school in the University of Puget Sound down in Tacoma, and my roommate was from Alaska. Anyone here from Alaska? From Alaska? And so I finally, last summer, went to visit her. And we were going to visit her. Her family has a cabin. It's in a place called Valdez, which is just this random fishing village. So we go up there, and we're getting our groceries for the week. We're in Safeway, and I have to pee. So I'm like, okay. You know, ask the guy, where's the bathroom? He, he sends me back to this, you know, you go through the little flap doors, and there's a bathroom. So I go back there, and there's this, like, 50-ish-year-old man there at the same time. And he's like, oh, go ahead. You know, I'm like, oh, that's nice. So I go ahead. And I come out, and I'm walking out, and, he, and I'm walking away. And he's like, um, excuse me, ma'am, can you come here for a second? And I'm like... Uh, sure. Like, I start walking towards him, and I get, and I'm like, is this a bad idea? Is this a good idea? I get like this close to him, and he's like, now don't be alarmed. I'm reaching around. I'm reaching around. I'm reaching, I'm like, what are you reaching around? Reaching around. Huge piece of toilet paper. (laughs) Hanging from my back. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. This only happens in movies or my life. (laughs) So. I thank the man for saving me from embarrassment, and um, me and my room, my older mate Katie, we just laughed about it. But um, one thing I love about movies is is you get to, even if it's just for a second, you get to stand with these characters sometimes, and you get to feel what they're feeling. And um, like you guys might have two seconds ago been like, why is he reaching around and like feeling the awkwardness of having someone show you have toilet paper hanging from your pants. Uh, and at the same time, movies are awesome because sometimes you're in these moments with these characters and sometimes you're, you almost have this bird's eye view where you know what's around the corner or you know what's going on in these different people's lives and you kind of 
You get to see all of what's going on, but you also get to interact with these different characters. Uh, and when I read the book of Ruth, that's what I see. And that's what I love about it, is you see these characters interacting with their circumstances and also how they interact with God. But at the same time, you kind of get this big picture of how God's at work. And I know um, in my life, sometimes I'm like, I have no idea how God's at work. I don't know where God is, what he's doing, if he's here, if he's not. But when I read these stories... I can see kind of how he moves and how things work together and where he might show up in their lives and where his, how his faithfulness is played out or what kind of qualities come out of these stories, um, which helps me in my life. Uh, Two-second bio on me was I did grow up in Lake Oswego, Oregon, and I was, uh, grew up in a Christian household, a Christian, but it wasn't until I was 16 when I realized that there was a difference between a relationship with Christ and the religion of Religion, basically. Uh, and it wasn't, and when I was in college was when my faith really became my own when I wrestled with the questions that I'm still wrestling with of who is God, who am I, and how do those things fit together, and what am I supposed to do with myself? Um, and it, but it wasn't until about three or four years ago that I started reading the Old Testament. And it was, reading scripture has become a new passion for me because for so long people talked about the Bible and it's awesome, but I just never figured out how to find life in it and how to read it, and especially the Old Testament. I was like, what the heck is the point of the Old Testament? But when I started to read it, it was kind of like almost seeing this movie where at the end of the movie or at the end of this book, I had this picture of like who, way clearer picture of who God was and was able to um, begin to see more of how he was moving or how he was alive in, in people's lives around me. So tonight when we, we're going to keep going in the, the book of Ruth. We're going to finish it tonight. It's four chapters long. Uh, and we've been talking about relationships throughout this series with Ruth. But tonight I want to look, kind of focus on Naomi, who, who is actually the main character of the book, but, um, and kind of look at where she started and where she ended and see what we can learn about who God is in the midst of that. So please pray with me before we begin. Dear God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for uh, just the season that we are all in, and the season that these college students are in, and just the big questions that we have. Um, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to get to talk and share some some of my reflections on Ruth. I pray that you'll be with us, be with me, speak through me. Um, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so to start with, to summarize Ruth, I drew you guys some pictures to <laughs> recap so we can throw up the first one. Okay, the book starts... And I am an artist, so, yeah, you could buy these online. Um, this is Naomi, and she is the main character, and she, the book starts where she has just lost her husband and her two sons to a famine. And she is in a horrible place. In the society, she would lose her status, her title, her ways of making money. She was completely dependent upon the men in her family, and they all have just passed away. And she is, she's crying. She is um, very, she's in this place and she, she even says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara for I am bitter. Like God has dealt harshly with me. What is going on? Why is my life a mess? So she's in this, she's in a low, hard, hard spot. So she has two daughter-in-laws who are now widows as well. And she tells them, go home, go back to your families, go back to where you came from. You're young enough. Maybe you can get remarried and start a life. Like I'm, it's over for me. Next slide. So. Um, this is Naomi, but Ruth, one of the, one of them goes home, and the other one said, Ruth says, don't mind the neck. 
she says, no, I'm going to stay with you. I will go with you. Go where you go. I will be with you till you die. I'm going, I basically pledging her life to her mother-in-law and saying, I will worship the God you worship. I will be with you. I will care, care for you. We will walk through life together, which is a pretty amazing thing. I mean, I think especially in our, in our world, like relationships, people aren't that loyal. They don't, uh, that would just be a huge thing. So Anyways, Naomi and Ruth head back to Naomi's hometown. And Naomi has Ruth go out into the fields. Next slide. And um, she, those are the workers, the little ones. And she's kind of, she goes in there and she picks up their leftovers. And that's what her and Naomi get to eat, is whatever the people who are actually working um, leave behind. And Boaz, the uh, handsome gentleman in the back, he... <laughs> He sees Ruth and the way that she's working and her, her character, something about how she's working in the fields stands out to him and he asks questions and he hears the story of how this daughter-in-law pledged her life to her mother-in-law and, um, and how she's working for both of them. So he says, hey Ruth, I'm gonna take care of you, like I will, um, you can, he kinda protects her and is really kind to her. He's someone who loves the Lord, and you can see that through the way that he talks to his workers and different things if you read it. Um, so, Boaz is nice to Ruth. Next slide. So then, uh, <laughs> Ruth shrinks, and... <laughs> no. Um, so then Naomi tells Ruth to, to go lay at the feet of Boaz, which is basically saying to Boaz, if you want to propose to me, I'd be fine with that. So she goes, lays the feet of Boaz. Boaz is like, all right, okay. And he is excited about Ruth and excited about marrying her. And when he marries her, not only does he marry her, but he, he's pledging to take care of Naomi and watch over these, these two women. Um, but in that culture, there was the next closest relative to Ruth, Ruth's husband, dead husband, would be first in line to, it's called redeem, Ruth, marry Ruth, and take over their inheritance. So he has to check with the first, this other relative to make sure that he doesn't want, because it's his right. Um, so this is where Chris left us last week, this cliffhanger. Will they get married? Will they not? Uh, and so we're moving to chapter 4, um, and Boaz goes to talk to the other relative. So you can... Okay. And this is where we're going to read. So... Boaz went straight to the public square and took his place there. Before long, the closer relative, the one mentioned earlier by Boaz, strolled by. Step aside, old friend, said Boaz. Take a seat. The man sat down. Boaz then gathered ten of the town elders around and said, Sit down here with us. We've got some business to take care of. And they sat down. Boaz then said to his relative, The piece of property that belonged to our relative Elimelech, that's Naomi's husband, uh, is being sold by his widow, Naomi, who has just returned from the country of Moab. I thought you ought to know about it. Buy it back if you want. You can make official offer in the presence of those sitting here and before the town elders. You have first redeemer rights. If you want, if you want it, tell me so I know where I stand. You're first in line to do this, and I'm next after you. He said, I'll buy it. Then Boaz added, you realize, don't you, that when you buy the field from Naomi, you also get Ruth the Moabite, the widow of our dead relative, along with the redeemer responsibilities to have children with her, and to carry on the family inheritance. Then the relative said, Oh, I can't do that. I'd, I jeopardize my own family's inheritance. You go ahead and buy it. You can have my rights. I can't do it. So basically the, what happens is he's, he's excited about getting all this land, but then when he hears he's marrying Ruth, and which means that um, and, and what comes with that is 
his last name won't be carried on. It'll be Ruth's husband's last name will be carried on and the inheritance will go to her family. So he's like, no, I need, I want, I could lose my inheritance. I could lose my name. Like I, I want to looking out for himself and his family and Boaz is up to bat. So, uh, so Boaz says he'll marry Ruth and then Boaz addresses the elders and all the people in the town square that day. You are witnesses today that I bought from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Killian, and Malone, including the responsibility for Ruth the foreigner, the widow of Malone. I'll take her as my wife and keep her, keep the name of the deceased alive along with his inheritance. The memory and the reputation of the deceased is not going to disappear out of this family or from his hometown. To all of you, this, to all this, you are witnesses this very day. <clears throat> So then Boaz marries Ruth. She becomes his wife. Boaz slept with her. And by God's gracious gift, she conceived and had a son. The town women then say to Naomi, Blessed be God. He didn't leave you without a family to carry on your life. May this baby grow up to be famous in Israel. He will make you young again. He'll take care of you in old age. And in this, and this daughter-in-law who has brought him from the world and loves you so much. Why? She's worth more to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby held him in her arms, cuddling her, cooing over him, and waiting on him hand and foot. The neighborhood women started calling him Naomi's baby boy, but his real name was Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David. So, um, and the amazing thing with that is, so this baby turns out to be the direct line of Jesus Christ, which is pretty crazy. Uh, so, if, well, if we're looking at Naomi, she started out tears, like horrible life, sucks, life has fallen apart, and you see her in the end of this story, not only has she been restored in the way that she has these material, or, you know, her basic necessities met, where she has, now she has a home, she has someone taking care of her, she has an income, she has a family, and you see her with this baby that's, she's holding it, she's loving it, you see this picture of contentment and restoration in her. And so when I see this story of Ruth, you can throw up the next one. Um, this is kind of this contrast where you see that this is, when I look at this contrast, I see um, a God that it restores and a God that is restoring her life. And even when Naomi was super frustrated in the beginning, God had already begun to restore her by bringing her this relationship with Ruth. Um, and this idea that God restores isn't just for Naomi. It's something that's true throughout all of Scripture and throughout all of our lives that God is at work in our lives right now restoring us. When you think of restoring, you can think of, you know, you have like a beat-up chair, and it's chipping paint, and maybe has three legs, and this restoration is this time and this care that kind of, you know, sands down some parts and makes it look nice and pretty again. So that is the work that God is doing in all of our lives right now. Um, and and the practical implication of this is, is this presents us with an opportunity to find contentment every day. And I think when you guys, when I hear the, the, the word contentment, um, I think the world has a very different view of that versus what God sees, what contentment in Christ is. The world sees it as comfort or complacent. And contentment in Christ is something that's completely different than that. It's this ability to, to have an inward peace and a, an ability to, um, to grow and to find life in the midst of whatever circumstances there are. Paul is... Throw up the Paul. Yeah. This is what Paul says. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. 
I have learned the secret of being content in any circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do this all through him who gives me strength. And I think when I hear that verse, I'm like, that's crazy. Like, it's crazy to be just content, like, oh, whatever, I'm starving. Um, But there's something about Paul's relationship with Christ that allows, that he says this. Um, And for me, what I picture is this picture of a flower. You can throw that one up. And it's, um, I picture, yeah, there it is. Uh, When Two summers ago, I led backpacking trips in Canada at a Young Life camp called Beyond. And we would go climbing in these mountains, and sometimes there would be these huge rocky things we'd have to climb up, and there sometimes wasn't places to hold on to, but there were these plants that would grow from the rocks. And I'm like, I haven't seen dirt in like four days, so I don't know where, I don't know where this plant is, where its roots are, but it was so strong that we, that I with my big backpack and like full-grown men with their huge 50, 60-pound backpacks could use these these plants to pull themselves up these rocks. We called it veggie belay, like vegetation belaying us. But um, we would veggie belay up these things, but it was incredible because there were these plants that had no dirt. They were in rocks, and they were had this ability to be to hold us up and to be strong and to, to grow and to have flowers. And to me, this is this... I think this is what Paul is talking about. Somehow you have this ability to, to grow and be alive, no matter if you're planted in dirt or if you're planted in organic soil or if you have rocks around you. Um, yeah. But I think this is also something where I'm like, okay, this is great. Monica, God restores, and we're going to be content in all circumstances. Done. Easy, right? But as we all know, as I know, this is hard, and this and, and so tonight I want to talk about two of the roadblocks that I see that keep us from experiencing this kind of contentment um, in our everyday lives. The first one is the question, why? And uh, that is a great question. I love that question. My boss, Ryan, probably gets annoyed because I ask that question too much. But, uh, and one thing I respect about Naomi is in the beginning, she, she's asking why. She's like, what the heck? Like, how is my husband and my... Th- Two sons dead. Like, how is this possible? Like, why did this happen? Why? And she's wrestling, and she's honest with God, and she's saying, call me bitter. Like, I'm frustrated. I'm hurt. I'm, and I know that all of us have experienced that and have had these questions in our lives where we're like, why, God? Like, why? What is going on? Um, but I think that, that God doesn't want us. I think God wants us to wrestle with that question, but I don't think he wants us to get stuck there. Because just like in Naomi's story, he is a God who restores. And if Naomi, and at some point, Naomi, you see her able to have contentment, able to be, have joy in her life again. But that means that some, at some point she stopped looking at this why question and started to look for where God was restoring her. I think this comment, how many of you guys have heard everything happens for a reason? You guys all heard that? That is one of my pet peeve phrases. <laughs> because... Uh, I, I think it's just half of a phrase. Because the other half is, yes, everything happens for a reason, but sometimes that reason is that Satan is real and he sucks. And it said, Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And there's lots of things that happen in this world that I'm like, that looks like it's got his fingerprint, Satan's fingerprints all over it to me. And Jesus says, I came to bring life and bring it to the fullest. And also there's sometimes we're just, we live in a broken world where there's sin in the world and there's brokenness and, and things just, 
don't work as they're supposed to be. And sometimes God is in the midst of all that. So when I hear everything happens for a reason, I say yes, but comma, sometimes the reason is Satan. Sometimes the reason is God. Sometimes the reason is sin. But then, and I'm still left with the why, and I don't know why. And I don't, but what I know is that I'll never know, if that makes sense. And, and, uh, do you guys know what the shortest verse in the Bible is? Jesus wept. Nice work. Uh, it's John, I think I wrote it. I think it's 1136. Yeah. 1135. Uh, and this is where Jesus comes to visit this, this woman, Martha, and her brother, Lazarus, has just died. And she is crying, obviously, very upset. And Jesus knows that he's going to raise her brother back to life. But when he sees her, when he sees her emotions, it says he was overcome with emotion for her, and he weeps. And that, to me, is incredible. That that even though I don't always know the why, I don't know why. Is it God? Is it Satan? Is it sin? Is it life? Why? But I know that God is with me in my brokenness, and I know that God is weeping with me when he sees these things happen to me, even if he knows how they're going to turn out, even if he knows you know, he's going to be raised to the dead, he still feels that with me. And so when I don't know why, I never will know why, but I will know that God is with me in my brokenness and that God is a God who restores. So when we, when we ask that question why, I think that's a great question. I think we should wrestle with it, ask it, but not get stuck there and not miss this restoration that God is doing in our lives. The second roadblock is this when-then idea. How many of you guys have ever said this or heard this? Oh, I can't wait to get to college, because when I get to college, then life's going to be awesome. Or I just can't wait till I figure out my major, and then I will just be so much less stressed out. Or I can't wait till when, when I, yeah, once you get your major, then it's when, when I get into my major, then life will be good. And when I get my internship, then life will be good. When I get a boyfriend, then life will be good. And when I get rid of this boyfriend, then life will be good. <laughs> but it's all this when-then talking. So it's so you're never present. You're always, you know, and then when we, we get engaged, oh, and then, but actually when we get married, then it'll be great. Oh, and then we have kids. So you're just on this big, you're just kind of chasing life instead of living it. And I think the reality is, is that every season we're in has struggles, and every season we're in is going to have joy. And if we can't, figure out how to be content in the season we're in, what makes us think we're going to be able to be content in the next season. And I think that this is a gift that that Jesus offers us that says, like, now. Like, I want to be with you now and offer you life now, not then. Uh, I think that one of the characters in the story of Ruth that often is overlooked, but who, what I find, I love, is the other relative. And it's really, he's someone who, so he, he turns down this opportunity to help out Ruth, to marry her, to take on that inheritance because he is worried about his name lasting. He wants his success to go on. And the ironic thing is, is that he's known as the other relative, kind of the like villain of the story, the guy who, the not nice guy, whereas Boaz sacrifices and enters into the story that God has, and he is directly related to Jesus Christ. Like, how much more significant can your name be than to be, you know, directly related to that? And it's just, I look back at college and I look at life now, and so many times I'm focused on, i got to get these classes done, i got to get my degree, i got to get here to be successful and make my name great. And I know that there were parts of God's story that he wanted to pull me into that I missed. 
because I was over here trying to make make myself great when he, you know, the, the relative missed the chance to be related to Jesus Christ. Uh, and I, I think that we do this a lot in relationships. We say, when, when I get a boyfriend, then everything will be awesome. And when I moved to Seattle about a year and a half ago, um, it was a big transition. I was coming from the south, front porch sitting. Uh, and we, when I got here, though, I was... Uh, I didn't have a lot of strong relationships, but I didn't have a big community. I was just moving here, a new job. I had, I had this kind of big void in me. And so when a relationship popped up, and it was actually started on a blind date, which is pretty funny, but um, I was really excited about that, and I kind of like clung to this relationship. And this guy was a nice guy, but it wasn't, but what would happen was he would text me, and because I was so like hungry for something, um, I would like shoot, like be so excited, be way up here, and then he wouldn't text me, and I'd be so frustrated and way down there, and really down, and and it was just kind of this roller coaster for a month, and it ended, and it wasn't, and I was just frustrated and was like, oh my gosh, like this relationship that isn't even that significant kind of threw me because I was so looking for something to fill me. I was looking for these circumstances to make me content instead of digging in my roots, like the picture. Uh, and I kind of realized this, and I was like, okay, that should not have affected me the way it did. That shows me that I, I'm rooted, I'm not pursuing the Lord, I'm pursuing these circumstances and expecting them and hanging on to them for happiness so they're, you know, on this big roller coaster. Uh, and I kind of, I began to ask the question, okay God, what do you have for me in this season? And, and with that, doors began to open and I began to, I lived in Seattle and my, a lot of my relatives live around here and I've never, gotten to spend a lot of time with him. And my grandpa was actually passing away, and so I got the chance to be with him a lot of the times and hang out with my family. My brother goes to school in Colorado, and I got to talk to him a couple times a week and just really be a part of his life. There were tons of like amazing women that I was in relationship with. I got to know God in a completely new way and new challenges, and I just became full. And, um, and it really was, I mean, it was, it was fullness, without a boyfriend. You know, it was fullness without whatever my next thing that I felt like I needed to have was. And it was awesome. And then in the spring, when I met the guy that I'm dating, Sam, he's awesome. Um, when I met him, I, I had this fullness in me. And I was, and so I was free to just be able to enjoy this relationship. If he would call, it was great. If he didn't call, it sucked, but it didn't like, wow! And then it wouldn't, you know, drop me down here. It was just like, both of us were free to just enjoy each other. And both of us were rooted in the Lord in a, in a place where we were a lot more healthy than I was in the fall and able to just enjoy life. Um, and, and with that relationship, you know, how different seasons have new joys and new struggles. Like, there's new hard things about that. And there were things that I had to give up to be in that relationship, which wasn't easy. Um, it wasn't, it's not all, no season is all roses, as we all know. Uh, and it was almost like this, this might be a weird analogy, but um, for me, I feel like in the fall when I was looking for all these circumstances to fill me, it was like I hadn't even eaten dinner, and I was starving. And I was like, just going to eat anything that I could find. And it was just like, versus in the spring where I was like, oh, I've had a good dinner. And I was like, oh, dessert? Sure. You know, but it was like, <laughs> but it was kind of this thing that was that I didn't need. It wasn't this like, I'm not going to die without it, but it's awesome. It's fun. So I think that the, the Lord, I don't know, there's just, 
when you're content in the Lord, when you're rooted in the Lord, when I'm in a good place with the Lord, whether I'm, it's, it's different. It feels different. Uh, and this can also happen in our personal lives. And, and when we, I mean, how many of you guys are stressed out with school? Most of you, probably. Uh, and if you, and if I were to ask the question why, it'd be like, why are you stressed out with school? Well, I want to do good on my test. Why do you want to do good on your test? I want to get a good grade. Why? So I can get a good, get into my major. Why? So I can get a good job. Why? So I can make money. Why? So I can, somewhere down the line, it's probably ends with so I can be happy. And we have this idea that we have to pursue this whole thing and have all this stress and pressure and blah, 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 so here we can be happy. But then what if you get there and you're not happy? Then you're just, oh, well, when the next thing happens. And there's all this pressure now for something that God wants to offer you now. And this was a switch that kind of happened for me in last summer when I was, I took a backpacking trip back to beyond with some girls here. It was awesome. And uh, it was, when we started the trip, it started to rain. And this is a six-day backpacking trip. So if you get wet on day one, you're soaking wet for six days. Like, things don't dry. Uh, so it started raining, and I was just like, okay, God, please, God, please, going to be sunny. Just one sun. Like, I want to make these great relationships and learn about you. And, you know, the rain's really just going to ruin that for me. So I started praying for sun and praying for sun and praying for sun. And then I realized that God doesn't promise me sun. Yeah, he could totally part the clouds, I believe, 100%, and make it sunny the whole week, but he doesn't promise me sun. But what he promises is strength and peace and joy and that he will be with me and that he's restoring me. And, and when I looked at this, I was like, I really do want sun, but what I really, really want is peace and joy and restoration and and this is something that he offers me now. And so this was a huge switch for me in my faith of the way that I prayed. So instead of praying for these circumstances to change, so I hoped that I would produce the feelings that I actually wanted to feel or the life that I actually wanted to live, I started praying for the Lord to give me strength and to give me joy and to give me peace and to be with me. And throughout that week, it started raining, and then the rain turned to hail, and the hail turned to snow, and the snow turned to blizzard, and the blizzard turned to whiteout. And it was... <laughs> frozen boots and soaking wet. and But in the midst of all of that, I had a deeper peace. And it was, it was the peace, the difference between like you're watching a scary movie and you're like scared versus like actually being scared. There's moments where it was, I don't know if that made sense. There's moments where it wasn't super, <laughs> I wasn't super, I had this deeper peace where I knew I was going to be okay. I had moments of joy. It wasn't all joy, but there were moments of pure laughter and joy. And there was strength to climb these mountains and strengthen these women in this room that is crazy. And, um, and it was awesome. And that's what I wanted. And so I think my, my hope for all of us is that we, that God is offering us this contentment now and that we would change the way we pray and change the way that we invest our energy, not to try and control all these circumstances, but to, to get to know Christ, to be rooted in him so we can be, flowers that grow in rocks. Um, and also just to know that God is a God who restores. And, and it says in Revelation that he is making all things new. And that includes us. That includes this, this world. And he's inviting us to, to get to know him, inviting us into a relationship with him, and inviting us to participate in, in his, this restoration. Pray with me.
Dear God, thank you for, Lord, thank you for the ways that you have used life to show me about you. Um, thank you for scripture that sometimes gives me a bigger perspective than my own life and then what I can see. Um, and thank you for just the ways that you are at work in our lives and the ways that you are restoring us and the hope that, that you offer us. Um, God, I just pray you'll be with us and that we will get to know you better. In Jesus' name, amen.